episode 93 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling better every single day. I don't know about you. Things are looking up. And now the accountability starts. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the votes. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. I mean, it's like the Beatles song. It's getting better all the time. I just feel like every day that we move further past what happened the last four years ago, the better. That doesn't mean I don't want to hold people accountable for their sins. I noticed that the Dominion Voting Machine Company has been very aggressive in its lawsuits, suing multiple people who have lied about them for over a billion dollars, and as they should, frankly. I mean, these vast lies told by people like Rudy Giuliani and others is uh, it's stunning to me. And, and they should be held accountable. And I think Dominion should um, sue them. Giuliani, other Giuliani news, he will not be defending the president in his impeachment trial, uh, not just because he's an incompetent old fool, but because he gave a speech at the rally that led to the riot at the Capitol and will probably be a witness Having said, let's have trial by combat. I'd like somebody to ask him, what did you mean by that, uh, Mr. Mayor? What did you mean by trial by combat? Um, We've all watched Game of Thrones. We know what trial by combat means. Um, Did you mean that we should fight to the death? And if you survive, you're innocent. Um, If you survive, you're right. Might makes right, which is what rule of law replaced in society. Rule of law replaced might makes right. For those of you who haven't been paying attention for the last 4,000, 5,000 years where we've had a civilization on this planet, might makes right. The laws of nature were replaced by the rule of law in America. So trial by combat's not really a thing we do anymore in the United States of America. It's nice on like, you know, fantasy TV shows. But it is not exactly something that we want to decide the fate of the Republic over. But Rudy Giuliani thought that was a good idea. So I'm looking forward to him being cross-examined during the impeachment trial. I think that's going to be really interesting to see from people who almost were killed um, during that uh, during that uh, January 6th riot insurrection on Capitol Hill. It's going to be nice to see them questioning Rudy Giuliani, a man who basically sicked the dogs on them. 
So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure you are as well. Uh, but I am feeling better. I mean, I'm, I've watched Jen Psaki give those uh, press briefings every day. I, I saw uh, Dr. Fauci the second day of the Biden administration looking light as a feather in that briefing room. I th- I'm sure you all saw it. It had to be enjoyable. I-, I can't be the only one who thought that was a wonderful thing to see because it really was a wonderful thing to see. And like you, I am watching conservatives try to twist themselves into a pretzel. You know, the same conservatives who needed to have months of million dollar hearings over four people dying in Benghazi. Um, well, let's just move on. Unity, unity, they say. Unity. I'm sorry, there's no unity without accountability, first of all, okay? There's no unity without accountability. And the accountability doesn't just go to the mobs that were summoned to the Capitol. Accountability needs to happen for the people who summoned them there. And some of those people worked in the Capitol, in Congress. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, the 140 people, Kevin McCarthy, all those people need to be held accountable. The president of the United States, former president of the United States, the current president of the United States, not responsible. But the former president of the United States is responsible and he will have uh, he will be tried in the United States Senate uh, early in February. The uh, impeachment article was delivered to the Senate on Monday and the trial is coming. So um, that'll be good to see uh, if any of these Republicans decide to grow a conscious and say, yeah, you know what? We can't have this. There needs to be consequences to this kind of sedition or we'll see it again. Um, we'll see a coup attempt again. And the next time uh, might not be so ham handed, might have a little bit more confidence behind it. And we might lose our republic if we just allow this to go. And I'm not just talking about the guy with the horns on his uh, hat who is, you know, some misguided soul who's been who was believing the lies that were being spun for the last four years, really the last 10 weeks particularly that this was a stolen election give me a break we've got to we've got to hold the people accountable that led that man there we have to hold that accountable or we're going to see it again and again and again and again and again so uh, i'm i'm buoyed by it now uh, i you know you watch the clips from 2013 and 2012 about Benghazi and why the Republicans felt they need to have this Benghazi hearing and they had a special select committee on Benghazi and they spent millions of dollars investigating Benghazi. Oh, who wrote the talking points in the middle of the fog of war you know, situation? Who wrote the talking points? You know, that was their that was their entire complaint that the Obama administration sent out Susan Rice to the morning shows, the Sunday morning shows, two days after Benghazi, and said that there was some blame that could be placed on a videotape, even though the president called it a terrorist attack immediately. President Obama. Um, okay, you needed accountability then. You must want accountability now. You must want the facts now. You must want to know what happened and who led them there now. What caused these people to storm the Capitol in an attempt to decapitate our government to keep Donald Trump in power? Let's go through it line by line, section by section. Every sentence that was uttered by extremists, that was a lie. And, you know, this is the thing. They won't even call out the lie. 
they won't even say, no, Joe Biden was legitimately elected president of the United States. Still to this day, some of them, um, you know, Rand Paul was on the Sunday shows over the weekend. He refused. He refused to acknowledge that this was a free and fair election on the Sunday shows. Still at this point, after riots on the Capitol. I, I mean, I, I am. I, again, you can't really have unity in this country until people acknowledge the big lie. And, and the big lie is that this election was somehow rigged, that Donald Trump somehow uh, had this election stolen and he won in a landslide. Now, I know that they don't believe it, but the, you know, Rand Paul in the back of his tiny little brain thinks, okay, I need these people so that I can run for president in 2022, which is really 2024, which is really 2022, right? 2022 and a half, 2023. Uh, you know that immediately following the midterms, you're going to start seeing people announcing that they're running for uh, president of the United States, particularly on the Republican Party, because Democrats will have an incumbent who will more than likely run for reelection. And I know that some people don't think that that's going to happen. I do. I think it's going to happen. I think Joe Biden's going to run for reelection. Um, and I think he should. Um, so Rand Paul would rather you know, put that ambition before the Constitution. This is a guy who has spent his entire career pretending to be this constitutional libertarian, but let me put that behind me. Let me pretend that there was some fraud so the people who believe that there's fraud will vote for me in a primary. It's a non-starter right now in the Republican Party to believe that there was a free and fair election and expect to win a Republican primary. That's the problem in America right now. But you know what's worse for the Republicans? Donald Trump's out there talking about starting his own third party, the Patriot Party. Go ahead, Mr. President. Go ahead. I mean, the thing is, is that for 20% of Republicans in this country, the Republican Party that is now controlled, you know, it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Donald Trump, whether he starts a Patriot Party or not. Those 20%, the Lynn Cheney's, the Mitt Romney's, the Lisa Murkowski's, you know, the, the, the Toomey's, the Portman's, the Collins. You name it, Ben Sass. There really is no Republican Party for them anymore, right? So 20% of Republicans now are probably going to have to split off from the Republican Party or be basically decapitated by the Republican Party and removed. I mean, some of them, you know, uh, Collins has just got elected to a sixth term, so she'll still be in the Senate. Does she Does she stay with the Republicans as they continue down this this disastrous road? I mean, I know it's a hard decision to make after Democrats just poured, you know, $20 million into trying to defeat, to defeat you in Maine. You know what $20 million buys you in Maine? They could have sent limousines for every voter in Maine for $20 million. Maine is not, I mean, while it's a big state geographically, it is not a big state popular, you know, population-wise. I think there's two, two, two members of the House in Maine. So, um, they, but they spent, you know, it was a $20 million Senate race in Maine. I mean, I don't even know what you spend $20 million on in Maine. I just don't know. I don't know what you could possibly, I mean, maple syrup for everybody. I don't, I, I, boats, what are you, what are you doing with that kind of money? I mean, $20 million for, for two congressional districts for a Senate seat. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty sick. So I don't know how she, you know, you know, wraps her brain around, okay, you know what, the party that helped support me get elected is no longer good for Maine or me it doesn't share my values anymore and it's time for me to leave it's time for me to move on I mean she's always said she's pro-choice right so what is really holding her to the Republican Party I mean she says she's pro-choice but then she votes for anti-choice judges but what is keeping her in the Republican Party at this point other than vengeance 
you know, hatred for the people who who ran this campaign against her. So you're going to see this fissure and I, you know, people get mad at me when I say the Republican Party split in two. Well, it is split in two. I mean, it's not 50-50, but it's split in two. And when the when the nation is divided 50-50 and 20% of one of that, those factions decides that they're not part of that faction anymore. Well, then that second faction really doesn't have much of a voice, does it? Now you're talking about a 50% faction that really is the majority. I mean, the Democrats are more than 50% of Americans, right? Just the way this country is shaped and the fact that we assign senators based on geography and not population and we assign electoral votes based on geography and not population, that we have you know, this ridiculous system that allows a overweighted vote for the minority in this country, which are Republicans. And unfortunately, you know, most of these Republicans have been deceived for so long to think that they're Republicans, to, you know, side with a party that really appeals to their race more than their class. If the vast majority of Republicans, including the vast majority of Trump voters, actually identified themselves as a class and not a race, they would be voting Democrat time and time and time again. But they actually have believed this racial lie that it is other people that are holding them back, that they can't compete with other, you know, with, with they can't compete with women. They can't compete with, they don't want to compete with, with African-Americans and Latinos and other minorities. No, that's the problem in America. We're allowing all those other people have the same rights as me. No, no, that's not the problem in America. The problem in America is that you have been exploited and you identify with the people exploiting you, not the other exploited people in this country. And that's why there is a Republican Party that even gets the kind of votes they get. Because even though the vast, overwhelming majority, I would say 90% of Republican voters are exploited in some way, shape, or form, economically, that is, they identify with the people who are exploiting them and not other people who are exploited in this country. And they're living under this false paradox that they somehow, someday, some way will be the ones doing the exploiting. It's, it's pathetic. Um, it's pathetic. And it, it's, you know, it, it, this is not a new thing. Uh, but the misinformation that is available right now has made this even more potent because now not only can you talk about how Democrats are socialist because they want to give you a living wage, even though most of the people who vote Republican would benefit by that living wage um, or, or, or the Democrats are socialist because they want to give you health care, even though most of the people who vote Republican will benefit. And some of them even do benefit from socialized medicine in this country. No, no. Now you could start up crazy rumors that, you know, Democrats are cannibalistic pedophiles and and you could spread that too, which which leads to even more fervor on the right. So, yeah, uh, we got a long way to go, but it's getting better all the time, baby. Um, it's getting better. Seeing reasonable human beings in charge of our government is important, but you know, you know, one last point before I get to my great guest. And again, I'll be back to wrap it up. I've got Jordan Sheridan from Status Coup joining me. We're going to talk a little bit about Flint. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened at the Capitol. Again, he had a reporter and a photojournalist there uh, at the Capitol. And we had uh, his uh, his uh, photographer, John Farina, on uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we're also going to talk about, you know, how media is covering this and media's role in, in, in the rise of Trump and the fall of Trump, frankly, and what media does next. 
Uh, but one last point, you know, about the Senate, and you all know I'm a creature of the Senate. I work for Chuck Schumer. Um, you know, what's going on in the Senate right now is ridiculous. You have Mitch McConnell filibustering the organizational resolution of the Senate. Now, America, there are some people who believe the filibuster should continue. I am not one of those people. I, I don't even think the Senate in its current form should continue. So let alone the filibuster, which gives even more power to the minority. I, I think that Mitch McConnell's doing Chuck Schumer a favor right now, because ultimately what's going to happen is people like Joe Manchin, um, Kristen Cinema, who may be opposed in theory to getting rid of the filibuster are going to see this going on and say, look, I can't even get my committee assignment now. Um, we can't do the regular business of the Senate because you're filibustering the organizational resolution of the Senate. You know, you're calling for unity. And for you, unity means, for, for Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, unity means you go along with us, not the other way around. Everything we want, nothing you want. Um, I think that ultimately this play by McConnell is going to lead to the end of the filibuster sooner rather than later. And once the filibuster's gone, we're getting two more states, and those states ain't going red. Okay, uh, Puerto Rico, you know, Puerto Rico might go red, uh, but D.C. sure as sure as hell ain't. So, um, you know, good luck with that. But we can't we can't allow this anymore. I mean, he's he's basically fighting over the rules of the Senate. Chuck Schumer proposed the rules that were in place the last time there was a 50 50 Senate, which also had the tie breaking vote, a Republican, the vice president. But it went for the vice. It went to the Republican Party. Right. So it's the exact opposite, you know, mirror image of what's going on right now. Mitch McConnell will not vote yes for that. That is pathetic. He's filibustering that. And you want to tell me we need a filibuster to protect that guy, to protect his members? No way. They are obstructionists, pure and simple, and they need to be removed. Their power needs to, and I get it, two years from now, Republicans could control the Senate, and then what do we do? I don't know. I don't care. But Democrats have an opportunity right now to actually get some things done for the American people, and they better take it, or we have no chance in two years and even less chance in four years. That's my opinion on it. So I'm hopeful that Mitch McConnell's own ridiculous obstructionism over something simple and silly is going to cause him to lose control over that one lever he still has left in the Senate, the filibuster. Well, let's see. All right, I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back with my good friend Jordan Chariton. Uh, and then I'll be back after that to wrap up the show. So hope you enjoy this interview. Joining me now, friend of mine for a very long time and a true investigative reporter, uh, Jordan Chariton is, uh, I, what do we call you? The owner, the editor, the proprietor of Status Coup. Uh, an internet web service TV kind of thing. What do you want? How do you want to define this, Jordan? Web service. I'm not a porn star. <laughs> He's buck naked. Uh, I am the CEO and uh, reporter with Status Coup, a progressive news outlet. There you go, Status Coup. Uh, and we, you know, I was telling my audience, you know, we had John Farina on two weeks ago, who you sent to DC, who covered that riot. And he was fantastic. And, you know, I thought, you know what? With Flint back in the news and you have been so much on top of it, I wanted to get you on here 
uh, to talk about Flint because, frankly, you stayed on it for years while a lot of other media services moved away from it. And I think the people of Flint uh, are happy you did. So why don't you give me your take on what happened this week with all the arrests and uh, indictments? Yeah, uh, on the the night before, um, Governor Snyder was first uh, brought into court. We broke a story for The Intercept kind of showing the tentacles of the Flint water cover-up, specifically the governor's role in it. Um, We found an avalanche. I mean, I mean, just a tsunami of phone calls uh, between the governor, his chief of staff and health director um, of the Michigan Health Department that uh, was happening at the same time that uh, the deadly Legionella outbreak in Flint was kind of setting off alarm bells uh, in his environmental and health department. So we found that the uh, original Flint criminal investigators uh, kind of felt these calls with a smoking gun. Uh, there was nine calls in two days between Snyder's chief of staff and the health department director. And uh, four of those calls, when they hung up with each, o- with each other, the chief of staff right away called the governor. Uh, we found some other things, including a briefing that was sent to the governor in October 2014 that mentioned the Legionella outbreak. If, you're, if your audience doesn't know, the Legionella outbreak um, killed as many as 115 people. In wow, place. wow. So uh, those that's what we found. Uh, and around the same time we broke that story, the current attorney general of Michigan announced charges against the governor, um, willful neglect of duty, which is actually a misdemeanor. So it's frankly a lot of uh, Flint residents who aren't that satisfied with those charges. And there were several other uh, top officials, including Snyder's, uh, I guess in the mafia, we'd call it the consigliere, his right-hand man. Right. He, he was charged with everything but the kitchen sink, extortion, perjury, obstruction of justice, and misconduct in office, which kind of begs the question, how did the governor's right-hand man do all this without Governor Snyder knowing? You know, I, I hate when that happens. Like, like, for example, Bridget Kelly in Bridgegate, you know, she's getting thrown to the wolves. Meanwhile, Chris Christie's got a seven-figure contract with ABC to talk about politics. How there's no way that Chris Christie did not know what was going on uh, with his deputy chief of staff and his chief of staff. And meanwhile, in Michigan, you have the same thing. You're charging uh, the guy's right-hand man, but not the man himself. Well, I mean, frankly, there's there's more proof here uh, than was even in Bridgegate. I mean, we didn't have, and just like a, I mean, it's like a bunch of drunken teenagers on the phone for two days. I mean, there was just an avalanche. If you read, if you read the story, uh, the governor, his chief of staff, his health director, they're on the phone, bang, bang, rapid fire for two days straight. And at the same time, emails and calls are flying around the health and environmental departments about Legionella. Uh, we also found that um, his environmental director had a meeting in Flint that month, October 2014, um, with Flint city officials where the Legionella outbreak came up. Wow. Kind of important because Governor Snyder went in front of Congress in 2016. He said, I didn't know a thing about Legionella until January 2016, which is a hell of a lot later than October 2014. So, yeah, I mean, it, it it's pretty clear. I mean, I can't get into the attorney general's head. But I do know from multiple sources and documentation documents we got that there were two origi- there were two investigations. One uh, was a special prosecutor, think like the Robert Mueller of Flint. Right. His investigation was for three years. 
Uh, that investigation had concluded there was evidence against the governor to charge him with misconduct in office, uh, will, willful neglect of duty, as well as at the time that the new attorney general let them all go, fired them, uh, they were gunning for involuntary manslaughter. So hmm. it's kind of a tale of two investigations, how one was really had concluded uh, a lot more serious charges and was close on the most serious charge, uh, but the current attorney general... Uh, you know, some Flint residents call it a parking ticket for poisoning yeah. a whole community. Maybe she just feels that this is how she can get a conviction, right? I mean, I've been, I have been a prosecutor in my career, and I know that they don't want to bring charges that they don't think they could win on. And I, you know, it, it's hard to convict an elected official for something he did in his duly, you know, uh, in his elected office. Uh, for you know, for making huge mistakes, even th- even though it's pretty clear this guy knew what was going on and was engaged in really a cover up and 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 just uh, you know this would not have happened in Gross Point, Michigan. Let's just put it that way. Oh, of course not. Yeah, I think you know that's definitely what the Republican defenders of Snyder have been pushing the last few days. That you know you are criminalizing elected officials. You're going to make elected officials have to think twice with every decision. And I kind of say, well, they should think twice when it comes to health decisions. I mean, you as the governor, the mayor, uh, whatever, what, the decisions you make could kill people. I mean, look at what we're going through now. You know, it's, 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 it's not that you have to think twice about every decision. You have to be honest with the public about what's going on so that the public can make choices. If, if you would have come right out and said, look, we've, we've discovered that there's this problem with your water, you need to take you know, steps. We're going to do everything we can to take steps too. But there was just this lack of transparency and honesty coming from the governor's office and other officials around Flint. Well, there's another element too. I won't get too in the weeds for your audience, but part of why they wouldn't come out publicly is there was a very, very uh, shady, uh, allegedly fraudulent financial deal that had handcuffed Flint into using the Flint River in the first place. Uh, I think I told you this last time I was on, but Flint was only supposed to be on the river temporarily because there was a brand new water pipeline being built that Flint was going to be joining. That pipeline, it's called a regional service. It was really a privatized water system. And the deal to even get Flint on uh, was allegedly fraudulent. Uh, The original investigation team charged three three officials with uh, bond fraud and false pretenses. So... At the time that Flint, when, you know, people are going to City Hall with brown water, rashes, uh, even if the governor wanted uh, to send Flint back to Detroit, it got its water from Detroit before the Flint River, uh, they were basic. They were on the hook for $85 million in bonds uh, that they had strangled Flint with to join this pipeline. So that's a huge reason why money came before public health. They didn't want to send Flint back to the Detroit water system because then Flint would be paying both a million dollars a month to Detroit for clean water, plus the uh, a lot of money that they were on the hook for for this pipeline that was being constructed. So, as always, follow the money. Yeah, it was it was beyond just make mistakes or he didn't want to publicly admit a mistake. There was f- financial reasons not to do it. And oh, by the way, the phone calls that we found were a couple of weeks before his reelection and there were reports that he wanted to run for governor, you know, well before Donald Trump was ever a presidential candidate. 
Yeah, this is. Uh, he wanted to run for president. Excuse me. It's a horrible, horrible situation, and you know, I think that the fact that they had a city manager that was appointed by the governor, you know, replacing the elected officials in Flint made it worse, which is one of the first horrible things he did to Flint when he threw out their elected government and put in, you know, an overseer, basically a viceroy. Uh, and it was just racist on its face. And uh, I'm glad that you were out there covering it, Jordan. And I'm glad that, to see that at least there is some attempt at accountability going on there. So uh, I'm going to keep on this, and I, I know you will too. And I think people should be checking you out on Status Quo uh, to to know what's going on in Flint because it's a story that should not be overlooked. I'm back with Jordan Chardon, uh, Status Quo CEO and reporter at Status Quo, the ever-growing Status Quo. You know, you guys got a lot of play last week uh, with your coverage of the Capitol riot. And I really want to just get your perspective from, I mean, you're talking to your reporters there. You're seeing what's going on, not just from what's being reported on the news, but you had guys right in the mix of it. Uh, Tell me what that was like for you, Jordan. Yeah, uh, John Farina, who has been not just the Capitol, but he's been for months uh, doing coverage from... MAGA rallies, Proud Boy rallies. Uh, we did several together. Um, you know, he's going to need a going to have a pretty hefty therapy bill to tell you the truth. But um, you know, to me, having covered Trump from 2016 to 2020, I mean, between both campaigns, I probably covered at least 50 to 60 of his rallies. What you saw at the Capitol was kind of just the, the culmination of the growing sickness that Trump put out there. Yeah. I felt the rallies I was seeing in 2020, not that 2016 didn't have a lot of hate and anger, but 2020 was on a different level to the point where, you know, I felt that I was at cult suicide rallies, particularly a couple of days before the election when it's just a sea of maskless people. Um, Trump is talking more and more, um, you know, like kind of a fascist. Um, I, I was careful not to, you know, compare him to Hitler and these things that liberals, I think, were too quick to do. Yeah. But towards the end, I felt that, you know, whether it's delusions of grandeur or sociopath turned to psychopath, I was very scared uh, for if he was to get reelected, you know, unleashed what could happen. Which rallies were you at at the end? Because, I mean, I was watching that with dread, too, frankly. I was at the day before in Pennsylvania in Wilkes-Barre, and there must have been ten to 20,000 people. Um, and I would definitely suggest um, 75% weren't wearing, weren't wearing masks. Right. But right you know, in the uh, wait for him to come on stage, they had a mega screen. They were playing clips from OANN, um, more than Fox. And... You could just it was a great symbol having this mega screen with conservative media, because that's what these people have been fed. Yeah. Along with Trump for years. And, you know, I worked at Fox News a long, long time ago. Obviously, it has, you know, a significantly conservative viewpoint. But I think in the last few months, the alternate reality that Trump fed uh, Fox, OANN, Newsmax were, were dangerous. In yeah. What fed people. And it culminated in what happened on the Capitol. And unfortunately, regardless of Trump being out, you know, I think the genie's out of the bottle and these people are not going to quietly go home. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to quietly go home either. Uh, and this misinformation is still being put out. I don't understand how people believe it. I mean, they, they're, you know, they were lied to about the election. They were lied to even after the election saying Joe Biden would never take office. And now he has. And, you know, how, how do you believe these people who've lied to you time and time and time and time and time and time and time again? Um, but they seem to do it. Uh, I mean, you've talked to a lot of these people at these rallies. I've talked to them as well. Um, you know, what do you think makes, what do you think drives them to this? It, it can't simply be that they're racist. I know a lot of people want to dismiss them all as racists. Uh, I don't believe they're all racist. I think there's a lot of racism there. Um, but what do you think is driving them? You know, you and I are probably a little different on the, le- you know, I, um, probably a little more to the left than you, not, not that you're not a lefty. But I do think the fact that, you know, frankly, I, I think we've had a fairly centrist Democratic Party now for 20, 30 years. And when you, you know, I'm not blaming the Democratic Party for Trumpism completely, but I do think when you don't have a strong populist alternative, the vacuum left uh, presents itself to, to phony populists. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I interviewed that they truly, uh, that are Trump supporters that actually are for a universal health care system right. and, um, you know, stronger, uh, you know, the minimum wage. And really a lot of the populist themes that Trump spoke about in 2016, obviously he was full of it. He didn't mean any of it. but his, And he didn't deliver any of it. And they're still uh, with him. <laughs> right. So uh, a, a huge percentage of his base, uh, I strongly believe, um, are kind of those, I guess you could say, Reagan Democrats. Um, they do respond to populist rhetoric they might not you know they might not favor every policy let's say a bernie sanders uh proposes but they like the kind of uh they like that kind of vision uh an anti-establishment vision uh, a vision of um you know no more bailouts for corporations that kind of thing right and I, that he, trump very expertly uh attracted that base and then what he did, I mean, he admitted it, frankly, in a CNN interview, or I think it was the C- uh, 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, all fair. She's, you know, he just said, yeah, yeah, I just, I tell them you're lying because if I say it enough, they'll believe me. Right. And that is what happened. So I think, no, I mean, I've met plenty of people that are clearly racist, but I've also met plenty of people that are factory workers whose jobs have been offshored for years and years and years. Yeah. Now we're driving Uber you know, and when you have that kind of economic uh, frustration that's built in this country, um, you know, phony populists can come into the void. And it's, we know through history, they are very good at at leading others to blame whoever it is, whether it's the Jews, the Mexicans, the Muslims. And that's exactly what Trump did. Yeah, that is that is exactly what's happening. I mean, you saw some crazy stuff there. I've talked to some crazy people. I think what happened at the Capitol was led by, you know, the white supremacist types, frankly. Right. Um, but I, I can't possibly believe that there are 73 million racists in this country uh, voting for Donald Trump. I just think that there are a lot of scared people who think that the world has passed them by, and maybe it has, quite frankly. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the response shouldn't be, well, we can't let the other people get in here and compete with us because we can't compete with them. I mean, that's that's part of the the part of the problem. These people are afraid of their place in society because now they got to compete with women. They've got to compete with African Americans. They got to compete with compete with immigrants, and they don't feel they can compete. Right. And honestly, I think that 
you know, Trump actually hurt himself. I mean, if Trump would have would have just said, I mean, Europe did the smart thing. They said, all right, we're going to backstop payrolls or give, you know, Canada, I think, is giving two thousand a month during this. If Trump would have just done that, I mean, he'd be president. He would have gotten reelected in a landslide if he would have done that, if he would have taken the virus seriously. He could have led. He could have actually had an opportunity to lead through a crisis and there would have been no way he would have been defeated if he would have done that. And all he had to do was listen to people who knew what they were doing, knew what they were talking about, and he'd still be president right now. He would have won. He would have won uh, in a bigger landslide than you know Biden did, frankly. <laughs> so, well, I also think, frankly, there is media, uh, there is media accountability here too beyond Fox News. Ooh, I mean, before you you founded Status Quo, you used to be a media reporter. And, um, you know, the media does have a lot of answering to do for the rise of Donald Trump and not just conservative media. I think that CNN loved having Donald Trump rallies on because they were good television, frankly. Yeah, I mean, people don't remember this, but about 2014, 15, I mean, cable news was kind of in the the crap tank. Um, They the ratings were dwindling. Uh, CNN uh, was not doing so well. Um, their audience was predominantly, you know, skewed older and that then Trump kind of came down that escalator and served as a five year sugar high. Um, MSNBC in particular, I mean, between Trump and kind of that 24 seven, uh, Russia coverage, uh, they had a resurgence there for a while, but, you know, it's kind of, you know, frankly, hypocritical when you watch some of these anchors like Joe and, uh, Mika and a lot of these other people who, I mean, they had Trump call in in his pajamas every day. Yeah. 2016 and 16, um, adoring interviews. Uh, there was stuff that got out showing, you know, between segments, them palling around. And years later, um, they gave, you know, they're, they're aghast at what the monster they've created. I'll tell you, if they would have given Bernie Sanders you know, one-tenth of that coverage, he probably would have been president. If they would have uh, given Hillary Clinton when she was the nominee... The same coverage they gave Trump, she probably would have been president, right? I mean, this, I mean, the coverage that Donald Trump had as the nominee, I mean, hours a night, frankly. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to Trump's credit, he knew how to manipulate the media. But at the end of the day, uh, the reason that we had a, you know, uh, it's developed into this uh, media by tweet was kind of because the media allowed that to happen. I mean... In the old days, let's say a presidential candidate would have said on stage, eh, John McCain, he's not a hero. You know, I like people who aren't captured. Right. I mean, the media probably would have, you know, uh, that person would have became an outcast or forced to, forced to resign. But the media would, you know, cover that scandal cycle for three days and then it would then move on to the next thing Trump did. Yeah. So. Uh, the media and you know. well, is that the media's fault or is it the fact that they were covering the newest scandal? I mean, like he was a scandal machine; it, you couldn't keep up. Um, yes and no. There's covering and then there's creating. So, um, you know, frankly, when Trump is announcing he wants to ban Muslims from the country, you know, that's kind of a time to me. If you're responsible, you tune that. You you start losing, uh, diminishing the cover, right? Uh, Jake Tapper, for example, who, you know, I, I don't have a major problem with him, but he interviewed Trump. Uh, if you remember this, Trump played stupid. And he, oh, I don't know who David I, is. I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I was in Vermont watching that. And, and that was 
if that was me, I just end the interview because you're either lying or you're an idiot. If right. you don't know who David is. Right. You know, or you call him out on it. You don't know who David Duke is. I have clips of you talking bad about David Duke in 1987. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, give me a break. In 2000, Donald Trump criticized David Duke, uh, saying, I don't know if I would want to be in the Reform Party because of David Duke. So um, I think there was a lot of, you know, frankly, um, a lot of these media, you know, a lot of these journalists in D.C. and New York are kind of political nerds. Uh, they're kind of very, they're very disconnected from what the rest of the country is yeah. dealing with. So they, you know, they were seeing, frankly, their followings exploding, uh, their ratings. The New York Times, its digital subscriber base exploded. So did the Washington Post. So Trump was a meal ticket. And, you know, obviously, uh, I don't think it's a good thing, but it, it is a for-profit media system. Yep. But you have to also balance that with being responsible because the more you cover someone that is uh, doing and saying things that are so, so beyond the pale, the more you normalize that uh, and the more you radicalize people. You know, how do you keep up though? You know, most elect, most media is used to the politicians telling lies like the old musket where you have to load the gun and put this, you know, the, the, the rock Peter in and, and then light a match and shoot the gun. And now all of a sudden you have the Gatling gun of lies coming at you and it's kind of hard to deal with, right? It's kind of like that jump in weaponry. Uh, you know, how does how does the media deal with that? I mean, it, 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 it took a while for them to adjust. I mean, the, the, the final adjustment is what happened last week. We just stopped covering them. Right. Well, to be honest with you, I think part of it was they didn't want to lose access to them. I mean, Trump was brilliant in his interviews. If uh, a reporter or anchor just even gently pushed back. Uh, he just spoke over them. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. And they just stopped and let him overpower them. I mean, you look at uh, your, uh, you know, journalists in the UK, that stuff doesn't fly. Uh, they're a lot more firm uh, with the people they interview. And that's partly because it, it's not as much of an access game there as it is here. And, you know, Trump, is not like your normal politician. They, they weren't necessarily going to ban CNN because Trump's oxygen comes from CNN right. before seven. So I think uh, a lot of these anchors, uh, when he was running in 2016 and when he was president, uh, they, for whatever reason, you know, I mean, just look at when he ran. He said, oh, no, I was against the Iraq war. Right. Uh, from the start. When, I mean, you're on Howard Stern for it. I, exactly. So that stuff. You know, if they would have kept drilling him and not let him just overpower him, that overpower them, that's kind of how you break through some of those lies. But if you let him just continue to lie and lie and lie uh, without having that moment where you kind of stop him dead in his track, it's not easy. I mean, he, he's a psycho, psycho um, he's a habitual liar. But I think they were soft on him partly because they were along for that ride and the ratings. I mean, Les Boonvest said it's not good for the country. It's great for CNN. Yeah. CBS. And Jeff Zucker, CNN's president, he was caught talking to Michael Cohen uh, on the phone uh, while Trump was running uh, about, you know, they assumed he was going to lose. Let's talk about a weekly show. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing to me. And I'm glad we got through it in one piece. I hope we really did get through it in one piece. I don't know if last week was the beginning of something or the end of something, but we'll find out, I guess, in the next couple of weeks. Jordan, I'm running out of time with you, man. This went too quick. I, I love talking to you. I love what you're doing over at Status Coup. Uh, you know, I think the country's lucky to have you. Anything you want to plug? 
Yeah, definitely check us out, youtube.com slash status coup. Uh, you can check out our, our story that we broke on Flint last week and our reporting uh, at the Capitol. The, uh, our, our cameraman got some of the best footage there. It's being used. It's being used everywhere. Jordan Chariton, always great to have you. All right, that's Jordan. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, good guy. Always a good guest. Always good content on Status Coup. Definitely, um, you know, they they are definitely advocates, right? They are out there advocating, and uh, you might not always agree with what they're advocating for, but they are advocating all the time. I tend to agree with most of what they're advocating for, particularly, you know, the social justice in Flint, which is, you know, Jordan has stayed on that like a dog on a bone, which is why I had him back on with Flint being in the news Last week, I thought it was, uh, you know, look, I mean, now that uh, I don't have big, big orange to talk about, I can talk about other issues. So Flint seemed like a good one last week. I got the Mooch coming next week. Always a fan favorite uh, on this podcast. The Mooch will come back. Two guys from Long Island talking politics. One a little left of center, one a little right of center, but both kind of want to see, I want to see good be done in this country. So I'm looking forward to talking to the Mooch next week. Make sure you tell a friend to get ready. The mooch is back. <laughs> so um, anyway, so here we are. I mean, uh, week one, uh, feeling good, feeling great, feeling optimistic. Still a lot of work to be done. You know, I, I watch these right wing people saying, whoa, he came out there and said, there's nothing you could do to change the trajectory of the virus in one day. I think by the end of the year, when we're all going to concerts and eating out, uh, I don't. I don't think we're going to be, you know, worried about what he said on day one. The man is engaged in a significant effort to get this country vaccinated, and as you can see around this country, leaving it up to the states has led to a potpourri of results. Some states are doing it okay. Some states aren't. Um, you know, I, I see what they're doing around the world in places like Israel, where they decided they're just going to do it by age, right? They're going to start with the most vulnerable people born before a certain year and they're going to just keep every week, you know, opening it up to more and more people and more and more ages. They're actually already uh, vaccinating people in their 40s who had no pre-existing conditions, no nothing in Israel. So uh, I think that might have been a pretty good approach. Uh, We'll see what the Biden administration comes up with. Let's give them a couple of weeks to come up with something. Uh, But I believe they will come up with a better plan than what's been going on right now. And I think that we're going to have 100 million people vaccinated in this first 100 days. And I think we're going to have maybe more than that. And I think by July, we're going to be in a pretty good place in this country. So everybody stay tight. Everybody stay patient. It's going to happen. Um, I'm excited about it. You should be excited about it. I'm excited that we, uh, I literally don't pick up my phone in the morning expecting to see some sort of maniac statement from, you know, 3 a.m. It's fantastic. I, I, I love it. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, not First Amendment free speech, but free speech issues surrounding his ban from Twitter. But I got to tell you, Twitter's been delightful since he's been gone. Yeah, there's still trolls out there. I've got I've got thousands of trolls. And by the way, if you haven't followed me on Twitter, I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. I'm like very close to having 20,000 followers, and I really would like to have that. So if you haven't followed me yet, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter, hook me up, okay? Just get on there, tell a few friends to follow me. 
I'm like 25 followers away. I mean, maybe by the time you're listening to this, I'm over it. (laughs) But if you haven't followed me, then just follow me. Even if you're not a Twitter person, just give it a try. It's okay. Um, But it has been delightful. There's not as much anger. I know a lot of those people, we talked about it last week, a lot of these people left for parlor. Good. Go over there and be angry with each other. Let us do our little, you know, uh, you know, let 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 everybody else be normal on Twitter and, you know, make their normal stream of consciousness there. I, you know, look, it shouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, I know there's a lot of issues surrounding whether or not he should or shouldn't be there. But I got to tell you, it's been peaceful. It's been good. And again, he's not president anymore. So it really doesn't matter what he says as far as I'm concerned. Start the Patriot Party. Go do what you're going to do. I mean, I got it. You're going to need to scam these people. You got 70 million people you could grift. So go grift them. I get it. That's what you're going to do. That's your thing. You're a grifter. You need to grift your people. And without something to sell them, how are you going to grift them? So you'll start the Patriot Party, which will fizzle out in three years. But what do you care? You will have made your billion dollars off these people and you won't care because you don't care. You never cared. And you're gone now. And I think enough people in this country understood that you don't care, you never cared, you never will care, and they are just like, good riddance, see you later. I know I am. So, uh, yeah, so I hope you're enjoying the quiet. I hope you're finding a way to reach out to people maybe who you stopped talking to, or maybe it's a little too soon. Maybe that's, maybe that's something for the summer when we're able to see each other face-to-face. You go out there and you say hi to people and, you know, people who had that Trump flag up. I've noticed a lot of people in my neighborhood who had Trump flags up have taken their Trump flags down. I've noticed that. Uh, And I noticed one particularly obnoxious Trump flag that I used to drive by every single day come down the day of the riot. And that made me happy. I don't know if it was a coincidence or if he did it because he saw what happened. But that flag came down the day of the riot. Thank you, sir. I won't say who you are or where you live, but I drive by your flag a lot and I was happy to see it come down. So um, let's hope that there are more flags like that coming down. Remember, you know, if your flag has a person's name on it and is not the flag of the nation you live and serve, then it's the flag of a cult, right? It is not the flag of democracy. You are putting a man above the nation. So maybe having his name on a flag that is flown by people instead of the American flag. And by the way, this flag was flown instead of the American flag at this person's house. Uh, Maybe that's a bad idea. And maybe the next time somebody comes along that wants you to do that, maybe we should know who they are. You know, like Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them. And and this is what's going on here. Uh, People flying these flags or people asking their supporters to fly flags with their name on it rather than the American flag. I mean, even the flag that they put out there with him on it, on the American flag, his picture, it's ridiculous. But those flags are coming down all over America. Hallelujah. All right, I want to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth, to question everything and everyone, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.